Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. On these days when we anticipate the great celebration of Christmas Day, we recognize the wonderful peace we find in Jesus Christ. We looked last week at the presence of God in his creation. And throughout these weeks of Advent, we're going to be looking at the presence of God and what it means to celebrate his presence in our lives. And that presence is revealed in so many ways. We did look last week at at creation and how God reveals his, his incredible mind, the intricacy of his creation, the beauty of his creation, and how it speaks of his glory. But it's one thing to see his creation. It's quite another thing to know the creator in a personal relationship. And so this week I want us to look at God's revealing presence, how he reveals that to us. And the glory of the power of the Holy Spirit is that not only does he inspire the writers as they write the scriptures, but then as we read the scriptures, he interprets those into our hearts and we recognize the truth. Jesus says in chapter 16 of John that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead us into all truth. We pray that he will do that even this morning as we look to these truths. We're looking at the Christmas narratives and in Luke's gospel, he introduces the Gentile to the baby Jesus. Mark talks about Jesus as the suffering servant. And Matthew, as a Jew, speaks uh, with all of his heart to the glory of the king of the Jews. John, as we looked at last week, invites us to come with him and see the glory that he himself has seen as an eyewitness. John's invitation is that we, too, might know him in his fullness, might see him in his glory. And so in the first chapter of John, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And so we looked at that creative power through Christ last week, and how that reveals his truth, and how men are without excuse, because it's evident from everything that he has made. How the... uh, The creation is the answer to idol worship, the answer to our doubts, the answer to atheism and disbelief. In verse 6, he picks it up and says, there was a man who came from John, God, his name was John. John the Baptist came to introduce this one who was coming. Down in verse 10, he says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And again, down at the end of the passage in verse 18, no one's ever seen God, but God, the only son who is at the father's side, has made him known. That's what we want to see this morning, the way God makes himself known in our hearts and lives. Now, back in Hebrews, right at the start, it says in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In the past, he spoke at many times and in many ways. God reveals a bit of himself in the old covenant. A bit of himself in the power of the created world. A bit of himself in what the prophets speak of. A bit of himself in all the time Jesus was here among us. But all of himself in the risen Christ. And so we recognize that he reveals himself fully in Christ Jesus. Nature reveals some. Jesus reveals all. And so we read in the scripture that the the glory of God is not recognized by sinful man. We see it in the Old Testament when Moses has God passing by him and, and God says, 
hide there in the cleft of the rock. You may see my backside as I pass by, but you cannot look on my face and live. They could not even touch the Ark of the Covenant. They could not even speak the name of Yahweh. They would write it down and they'd speak the more personable Adonai for their God. God was showing us his otherness, his power, his majesty in the Old Covenant. But in Christ, he comes past that and all the way to God among us. Emmanuel, God with us, approachable and in all of God's essence. We see the New Testament message in verse 5 where it says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then down in verse 10, we have the same kind of idea. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. All this truth is there and available to all, but sinful man mocks it and makes fun of it because they don't understand it. And isn't that the truth? When God speaks to us about his word in 1 Corinthians, it's foolishness to those who don't believe. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we come to the word and recognize that he reveals it to us as we are willing to receive it. So many are unwilling to receive it. And so they mock God. I remember back in the the time of the space race and the first Russian cosmonaut, the first one to orbit the earth, came back and proclaimed in his press conference, I went around the world in the heavens and I did not see God there. And the response of the Christian is, so... (laughs) Is he not there because we do not see him with physical eyes? Do I assume that the radio waves are no longer in the air just because I don't have a receiver on the right frequency to hear those radio waves? Do I think electricity doesn't work anymore because I don't flip the switch? I don't need to see things in order to believe. In fact, Jesus said in the upper room to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so God doesn't cease just because he is not seen. Job cried out to God, Oh, that I might know where I might find him. And we looked last week at that wonderful phrase from 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, We find the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has revealed himself and continues to reveal himself. It would never be enough for us to try to seek him on our own. We could not reach him. One of the lessons of... uh, Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel is that man cannot reach God of his own accords. God stoops to us. He reveals himself to us. And so what then is the secret to unlock this glory of God? To be able to see it, to realize the riches that are there for us. I read an account of a, a family that lived through the Great Depression in Kansas. Terrible, terrible time. They lived in abject poverty. They did not have sufficient food or clothing or even roof over their head. Finally, abandoned their property. Later, it was discovered that that property sat on one of the richest oil pools on the North American continent. Was there. The resources were there all the time. They just didn't recognize it. The resources of Jesus Christ are there for every man. It says he came for every man who comes into the world. We see it in verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man. We recognize that this is available if we will tap in to the wonderful revelation that comes to us in Jesus Christ. So it is the Son that makes the Father known. We read it in verse 18. No one's ever seen God, but the only Son who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus said to Philip, 
Have I been with you all this time and still you don't know me? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so we recognize that in the face of Christ, we have this revelation. We need to know that the rational approach is just not sufficient. We don't think our way to God. We open in faith and say, reveal yourself. And then in openness, we pray that we might be good receivers of his grace. My maternal grandparents were a great example of this. Grandpa loved Bible trivia. (laughs) He knew his Bible, but he knew it for little tiny facts. But he didn't have a joyful Christian walk. He had the words without the music. (laughs) But my grandmother was one of the most joyful people I've ever known. The difference of receiving this for ourselves in our hearts, not just thinking our way to God, not just knowing the words, but having that word sink deep into our spirit, allowing him to reveal himself through the living words. Only Jesus can make God known to us. Man's efforts aren't enough, then or now. We recognize that we bow before him and allow him then to speak to our hearts. And so if we can't think our way to God, he does say, let's be reasonable, let's think good thoughts, let's have good theology, but we always open ourselves and realize we are completely insufficient without you. And so we see his revealed glory. It says in the word that he reveals to all. I think that's why Luke starts the story with this announcement to the shepherds. God chose to announce it to the lowest of their society. That's who got the word that the Messiah has been born. It wasn't announced to the Sanhedrin. It wasn't announced in the higher echelons of the religious elite. It was the the humble shepherds who got the first word and went to the manger to see the glory that the angels had spoken of. If we realize that this is for all, that transforms our efforts in our witness. It transforms our missionary effort here and on the mission fields abroad. God's work has been done on behalf of all. And so he reveals himself to us. In his divine radiance, his love comes to our hearts. So are we willing to see his glory? I want to turn over to Mark, this wonderful healing story of Jesus. It's the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Starting at verse 46, they, they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And isn't that an odd question? Here's this blind beggar, crying out to Jesus for healing, for mercy. And Jesus gets his attention and says, What do you want me to do for you? He responds, Rabbi, I want to see Same kind of story in John chapter 5, as Jesus, once again, is healing a man. Here's at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem to a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, 
which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him another seemingly foolish question to the man who had been in that condition for 38 years. Do you want to get well? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to get well? He draws it back to us. And whether it's spiritual blindness or physical blindness, whether it's spiritual deformity or physical deformity, Jesus gets our attention in the same way. What do you want me to do for you? He reveals himself, shows us our possibilities, and says, are you willing? Do you really want this to happen? The invalid's response is, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. The tradition was the first one in would be healed. Jesus wants to speak to us. Over in chapter 9, Jesus is walking with disciples and they see uh, another man who is in need uh, of healing. They saw this man blind from birth. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the assumption in those days was that this is a result of sinfulness, to have this kind of thing in your life. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents. This has happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus wanted to dispel all of their foolishness about who had sinned and that sin had caused this blindness. Instead, he says, listen, this is for God's glory. God wants us to look at our lives. And he says, do you want to be well? Do you want to see? Do you want to be healed? And the reason for it is that God might be glorified in our lives. Not that we might be physically stronger. Not that we might have some kind of improvement into our lifestyle. But do we want to know him in his fullness? And so what are we willing to do? Do you want to see him? That's the question for this day of Advent. Do we want the revealing love of God to be ours? We talked last week about seeing his creation and learning things of God from the beauty and intricacy around us. But here he offers his very self to us. Do we want to receive him? He comes by his spirit not only to convict us, but to forgive us, to redeem us, to make us new. And the incredible thing is once we have seen him, it's possible to reject him. John Nash was hailed as one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. His thesis on dynamics of human conflict changed economic theory. He won the Nobel Prize for it. While he was still in his 20s, he was a professor at MIT. But then John Nash suffered a massive breakdown stopped in the middle of a lecture and announced that it was actually him on the cover of Life magazine dressed up like the Pope. He, in public situation, said that he was the emperor of Antarctica and started acting as if he were that king. His story is proclaimed in the book and the film from that book called A Beautiful Mind. He had heard voices and saw people that weren't really there. When he listened to those voices and those people, it destroyed his relationships, it distorted his perceptions, it made him obsessive, irrational, terrified. Over time, he learned to discern which voices were real and which were not. In the film, he says to a friend, 
I'm not so different from you. We all hear voices. We just have to decide which ones we are going to listen to. Two people live in a world where God is always present and one says, I have no room for God and the other says, I will set your face always before me. What do we choose to do with the revelation of God? Will we open ourselves to it? The word is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for salvation. We recognize his truth. God's offer of availability is the same way. Some voices will be destructive and fearful. Some will make us strong and peaceful. At the end of the film, a man approaches Nash outside of a classroom, actually to tell him about the Nobel Prize. Nash refuses to listen until he asks the student, do you see someone standing here talking to me? We can verify that the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. As Jesus promised he would, when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. Every thought holds the promise of carrying me into God's presence. Every verse of scripture that I read has a potential to carry me into God's presence. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, it says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. He comes to reveal himself. And this Advent season, if we will be aware of that, If we'll be aware of God's desire that we would know him in his fullness, he is available to us. He makes that promise. He gives us that assurance by his Holy Spirit. In John's writing, we see two responses to this. First, I want us to look in 1 John chapter 3 and then a verse or two from Revelation. John writes in chapter 3 of his first epistle. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him is it does not know us is it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We are the children of God. The wonder of accepting that. Now, over in Revelation, John is talking about how the world has been in the midst of the tribulation. In chapter 6, it says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who can stand? These are those who have given up, and even in the midst of God showing all of his power and all of his authority, they still say, hide us from him, and refuse to repent. Chapter 6 ends with that question, who can stand? Chapter 7 starts with one of the answers to that. After this, I saw four angels standing in the presence of God. Down in verse 9, after this, I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe and people and language standing before the throne and the Lamb. Who can stand? We can stand because God has come, because he has revealed himself. We stand in the grace that he gives to us. What is the difference 
between those who say we are the children of God and those who say hide us from his judgment. The difference is how we will respond now to the revealed word of Jesus. Will we recognize his peace, his truth, his presence in our lives? One of the ways that God reveals himself is in the sacrament of communion. We'll be sharing in that in just a few moments. If you're at home and you don't have the elements, just push the pause button for a minute and go and gather those elements so that you might share in that communion time with us. We want to recognize what it is God might say to us in this event. Communion, first of all, reminds us as we look to the physical elements, the bread and the cup, to realize that it was a physical body that was broken. That the baby Jesus that was born and placed in the manger is the Jesus who grew up and died on the cross. We recognize his physical sacrifice for us. We can learn the lesson that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. That everyone receives the same forgiveness because of the same grace. We might learn the lesson of humility. Look at all he has done for us when we are so unworthy. We might learn the lesson of gratitude or the joy of forgiveness or the extravagant love that is ours in Christ Jesus. We might learn the lesson of our hope for eternity or the cost of the gift or the conviction when the word says don't take it in an unworthy manner. That is, don't be flippant. Don't be insincere about this incredible gift. We come to receive what he has given. And the word says... That on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it. If you have those elements there at home, would you take them? And let's just pray over this, recognizing God's word to us. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace, your body, which is broken for us. What a gift. You have revealed yourself in Christ Jesus. We're not worthy of that, but we are grateful. We humbly receive that which you give. The same thing you gave to your disciples. For the night you were betrayed, you blessed it, you broke it. You said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. same way, after supper he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. They knew the old covenant. They knew the law. But Jesus said, this is now written on your hearts. This new covenant that I have given my life that you might have life. He said, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. And so as we drink this together, we proclaim the death of our Savior who has come all the way into our world that we might know him. Take and drink in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Father, we are yours. And we want to know you during the season of Advent in your fullness. We want to see you in the beauty of your creation. But more than that, we want to know you as our creator. We want to recognize our responsibility as both the crown and 
and the caretakers of your creation. We want to thank you that you choose to reveal yourself to us. How presumptuous of us to think we can reach you. But how glorious that you open up yourself to us in the glory of the face of Jesus. Help us to seek your face. Help us to know your presence revealed to us and rejoice in that presence. And throughout this Christmas season, may we know your presence in a new and refreshing way. That we'll have something to share with our world because you have changed us through the glory of your Son. We love you. We give you our lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.